Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios, and we're coming to you over EWTN Radio. And our guest today is a good friend, Dr. Ray Gurendi. Dr. Ray is a what you would call a revert to the Catholic faith, and his he just appeared last Monday night on the Journey Home program, though he's been on the Journey Home before, talking about his journey. Uh, Dr. Ray is a well-known voice on Catholic radio, has his own program called The Doctor Is In, which can be heard weekdays. Uh, he is the father of 10, clinical psychologist, author, public speaker, nationally syndicated radio host. Um, his radio listings on Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio, you can check them out for hearing his program at a stadium in your area. You can also listen live online or on Sirius Satellite Radio on Channel 130. Dr. Ray's experience includes school districts, Head Start programs, mental health centers, substance abuse programs, inpatient psychiatric centers, juvenile courts, and a private practice. In other words, he goes into the places most of us don't want to go. Is that right, Ray? And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> so if you want to find out more about Dr. Ray, www.dr ray.com d-r-r-a-y.com thanks ray for joining us on deep in scripture i know you were trying to want to retitle this program shallow yeah that's right i didn't like your attitude (laughs) (laughs) you know i get out of the program and i get into my car usually a few minutes after two o'clock eastern time (laughs) okay so frequently you're there all right (laughs) this is going to be bizarre getting out of my program, getting into my car, and then listening to me again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've invited you to join uh, this program because uh, other than your resume, you are an internationally known biblical scholar. Internationally. Biblical scholar. How about galactic? (laughs) You just want to make galactically known? I mean, let's not hold back. (laughs) But realizing that uh, though you were an evangelical you're brought up Catholic, but you were an evangelical for a good number, eight, ten years or so, mm-hmm. before you returned to the church. So Scripture is very much a part of your life, though that's not your—you're not a scholar, of course, in that area. And I'm not—my main reason for saying that is that I'm not expecting of it. But I'm you're doing saying this— You're saying you're not expecting much from this show. Is it? Marcus, <laughs> I'm a trained psychologist. I hear what you're not saying. <laughs> uh, Shallow in Scripture. No, I didn't say— uh, deep in other things, though. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't go there either. <laughs> anyway, uh, we are doing this program a little different this time because what I am doing, rather than have you choose the scriptures for us, that I am dropping a few on you. And the reason is, seriously, with as a Catholic who's a psychologist that deals with people, their thinking, Virtues and vices, how helping people in all the places that you say you're involved with, Head Start programs, mental health centers, substance substance abuse programs. I mean, how do you help people move on to live a life in which they could stand before God without embarrassment? Assuming they want to. (laughs) So it's hard enough when you want (laughs) to. That's right. But getting somebody to get to want to do that and the scriptures— that uh, you've agreed to look at, that I, I suppose you could say I dumped on you. Our scriptures were Paul is dropping a bomb on us as followers of Jesus Christ. I wish he'd have thrown in a few more qualifiers. Hmm. Wish he would have. Yeah, because yeah. some of these statements, these verses that we're going to look at today are I'm almost positive most of you listeners have heard of before. You've heard them at weddings. You've heard them from the pulpit. You may have read them. They're out there. They're great. They're certainly inspired advice. We're not being critical of Scripture or critical of St. Paul. What we're looking at, especially that's why I'm, I'm suggesting them for you to look at, Ray, is because as a psychologist dealing with marriages, parents and children, difficult situations, people who are, some of them don't care about living a holy life. Some of them would like to live a holy life. 
Some of our viewers know these are what Paul calls us to live, but how do I get there? And I think what you're saying is, where are the qualifiers? And some of these verses that we're going to, I'm going to read here in a moment, our listeners know by heart. Mm-hmm. May even have uh, uh, knitted into a doily or into a, a wall hanging there <laughs> as the model of their marriage. Yeah. But how do you do it? And so the let's go to the first one. Okay. And after the middle break, maybe we'll go to the second collection. Hey. hey. Yes. Hurry up. Hurry up. Get to the first one. Come on. Hurry up. I, 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 how long am I going to wait here? How long? Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 7. Dr. Ray, listen to the first one. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come listen, on. Come on. <laughs> listen to the first verse. Love is patient oh. and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Oh, yeah, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you're familiar, Marcus, with the, (laughs) the inadequacy of language to express truth. Yes. We have these infinite truths that God wants to give us, and he binds himself to the English language. Love is patient. Marcus, you've got three boys, don't you? You raised three boys? Yes, yes. Marilyn and I have three sons. So does that mean that when one of your sons got himself in a mood at age 11 and he was arguing with you, you needed to sit there and be patient. You needed to say, well, okay, I, I know you're frustrated, but tell me some more. I'm, I'm trying not to react here. I, I really want to punish you, but but go ahead. I want love to be patient. Go ahead. And kind. I'm kind. I'm, I'm feeling irritable, and I, I really want to send you to bed right now, but I need to be kind about this. <laughs> you see the problem yeah. here. It, almost for me, and I'm, uh, okay, I'm going to overanalyze this. I'm going to shrink. I overanalyze. Love is patient where? Love is kind when? My wife says that the new Christian virtue is kindness. She says the problem with that is we want other people to be kind to us. That's the new virtue. Be kind. Don't be truthful if it hurts my feelings. Don't set boundaries on me if I don't want them set. You need to be kind to me, which translates into Treat me the exact way I want to be treated according to my psychological needs and preferences. <laughs> so what does Paul mean? I mean, you said earlier today the three verses. Clear? Something is clear oh, in Scripture? Yeah. There are three different—I used to use these as three categories of the kinds of verses. As a Protestant minister, that, that uh, there were clear verses, cloudy verses— Stormy verses. Clear verses, at least in my opinion, needed no further explanation. They just said what they said, and there it is. John 3.16, God so loved the world. The cloudy verses are ones that, ooh, I'm not sure how they fit with my theology, but if I come up with an answer or some person I respect comes up with an explanation, I have a knee-jerk answer now how to fit that verse into my thinking. So they're no longer quite as cloudy. They can become clear once I get an answer. The stormy verses, I don't know how to fit those in with my theology or my thinking. And so we would avoid those. We would leave them aside. See, these are cloudy for me. Somebody walks into my office, and oftentimes part of their problem is that they're too patient. They're putting up with too much. (laughs) And the interesting thing is they're not always doing it out of love. They're doing it because they're insecure They're doing it because they don't want conflict. They're doing it because they think somehow in some twisted way they got to be a doormat. So they are patient, but it's not out of love. It's out of some kind of misperception, some kind of neediness. I guess when I look at this verse, Marcus, love is patient. I'm trying to put it in the context of, okay, what does God want of me here? Where, where does he want my love to be patient? 
for me is the way I wrestle yeah. with this. Yeah. Well, in the context, here we have Paul not able to get to the church where the problems had. And there we have a bunch of Christians that are having a problem. They're not quite getting along. And there's a long list of the problems at Corinth, right? One of which is this issue of spiritual gifts. And people are saying, you know, I've got this spiritual gift. You've got yours. Mine's better than yours. All those arguments about all the different spiritual issues. And what he's trying to say in the 13 is, gang, all these other issues, there's really a more core important issue, and that's love. And you can have tongues, you can have all these things, but in the end, if you don't have love, you got nothing. So there's the context. And so now he's describing love and what it is. Now, the problem is, which I think you're you're hitting on, but I'm, I'm going from a different angle, is that at the core of it, the Bible alone doesn't answer the question that you're talking about. Love is patient and kind. Now, is that saying that... How do I know if I love? Well, I'm patient, therefore I must love. My 21-year-old son is a bum who refuses to get a job. He lives in my house, and he plays video games, and I'm not going to get him out because I'm being patient. Okay, so I must love. I must love. I must love, therefore I'm kind. You, you know, you you have put your finger on it. That, and by the way, you have big hands. You're six <laughs> foot four, jeez. You have put your finger on it because I'll get people calling me, therapy, professionally, personally, and they'll say... I can't ask my son to leave the house. I'm not sure I'm Christian allowed. <laughs> they they take this as love is patient, love is kind. It's limitless in its patience and limitless in his kindness. And I'm not sure that's what Paul meant to say. I think what you said is more accurate, which is, hey, guys, you're not even exhibiting the barest minimum of this stuff. You're not even being kind where you're supposed to be kind or patient where you're supposed to be patient. And the question is, if you just look at the Bible and read it, well, I don't, I have no, it's not giving me a list. The, the, the problem of Bible alone, Sola Scriptura, is that depending on what pastor and what their psychological background is themselves yeah. and what they're dealing with, you can make this verse use it, and you could abuse it. Or personally, I'm feeling jealous. I'm being tempted to be jealous. Therefore, it says love is not jealous. Therefore, I must not love because I'm feeling jealous. It's not dealing with the fact that just because you're tempted to be jealous does that have any connection to whether I'm loving or not. A feeling as opposed to the reality of love. Maybe I might be feeling jealous because of a situation, but I recognize that that feeling is wrong, and so I don't act on it. This doesn't describe any of that. I'm a dead man. If I were to think about my feelings as sins, I'm a dead man. <laughs> my feelings are all over the place. Last night I'm playing ball, pitched to a guy, called third strike. He got mad. I got mad. Like, that was strike three. No, it wasn't, Ray. I said, yes, it was. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'd be sitting most of the time because feelings come and go. That's why we need that church to basically flesh this out for me. You leave me alone to flesh this out. Marcus, everybody who comes into my office has their own interpretation of the world. And a large part of their problem is because the way they interpret the world and other people is misguided and, and yeah. irrational. I need that church that's been commissioned by God. If the church wasn't commissioned by God, then it's just a bunch of people giving me their opinion. Well, the important thing about this is we live in a culture that sees love as a feeling. If patience is a feeling, if kindness is, in other words, I'm, I'm just if I feel kind, I'm kind. If I don't feel kind, then I'm not kind. The Lord's Prayer, in which we are called to... Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then Jesus says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Is forgiveness a feeling? I'm dead if it is. Because how long does it take to get over some of these feelings? You know, God forbid that some great tragedy would happen in somebody's family where a, where, where a teenage driver was killed by a drunk driver. 
you know, and the teenage person dies and the drunk driver has a broken arm. You know, the, the, how long is it going to take? You know, the parent going to say, well, four years later, I've finally forgiven. And in that time, I was estranged from God because I couldn't not forgive because this feeling plagued me for four years. Yeah. You're dead. Is this a constant, constant issue that you encounter as a psychologist? Oh, People my. that see that feelings oh. are the foundation for all this. Psychology has led the charge. I, I have a manuscript I'm working on now on anger. And I'm talking about in our feelings, our authentic culture, there's a great line that Ravi Zacharias, you remember Ravi Zacharias from your evangelical days? Mm -hmm. I got to get this right because it's so profound. How do you reach a culture that hears with its eyes and thinks with its feelings? How do you reach a culture that hears with its eyes and thinks with its feelings? Psychology has taught us that the authentic Marcus Grodi is that feeling in him that is patient or is not patient. So therefore, how long and how strong does that feeling have to be before you don't have it anymore? You get down to like 22% of what it was, you know, so now you're forgiving because you were, you know, you were, you were loaded with unforgiveness there for about a year and a half, but you didn't act on it. You prayed for the person. You forced yourself to pray for the person. You said, dear God, I don't want to pray for this guy, but I'm going to pray for him. Please bless him. Please bring him to repentance. I ask you this. I say it out loud. But Marcus, you didn't feel like saying it. Invalid. <laughs> no good prayer. You see what happens? Yeah. We're wired for feelings. And these feelings happen. Oftentimes they're automatic. You punch me in the face. My first feeling right now is anger. Right now, there's nothing I'm going to do about it. It's reflexive. It's wired into me. It's anger. I want to retaliate. And for that period of time, I've got to use my God-given resources to stop that. If I don't, I'm nothing but a walking moment-by-moment moment feeling. Almost everybody who walks in my office, you know what they say? I can't help the way I feel. How do I not feel this way? Remember that old song? Um, uh, the feelings are gone. Yes. I think Barry Manilow had one about that, you know. Uh, so in other words, the love is gone. That's it. One time I happened to be watching The Love Boat. It wasn't one of my favorite shows by any means, but I happened to turn it on, and they had um, 200 families on The Love Boat who were all engaged couples, and they were being married on The Love Boat, and the, the captain, you know, to the whole group, I, they filled in their name, take thee, they filled in their name, to to love you, and he now I pronounce you man and wife for as long as you both shall love. How sad! And in the soup of our culture that sees love as a feeling, that probably didn't last as long as the boat ride. Mm -hmm. And but I'd, I'd love you to address this now, though. Talk about from your experience, what is love then as an act? How do you describe that to your consulees by recognizing that the love that is talked about by Paul and the church is an act of the will? The first step, <laughs> I tell them, is you can't retaliate. <laughs> that's the first step. You just can't retaliate, all right? If, that, if, that's, if, that's the, if that's where you live for the next six months, then let's so be it. But you just cannot entertain vengeance, retaliation, justification, slashback. You can't. That is different than... that. That's... How should we put this? That's not related to feelings. That's an act. Now, somebody might say, yeah, but my feelings are so strong, they're going to drive me to do that. But let me just pause there, okay. because that's what some of these verses are saying. When you look at these things as not feelings, but these are acts these are of acts. the will, then love bears all things, believes, hopes, endures... Uh, is not irritable, resentful. It's not, I love or not because I feel this, but if you are called to love your spouse, you are going to at least choose to be this way. It's going to take a while by grace to get there. A life. But you're choosing. It's not that you're passively measuring your feelings. Regardless of your feelings, you are choosing, for example, not to retaliate. 
you are making that choice. The act, if you want to call it holiness, that's kind of a and maybe a little bit of an arrogant word. I think you shouldn't refer to acts of holiness when referring to yourself. But the but the holiness in the act comes from the effort. That's really I, I, as I've gotten older. Yeah. That's why priests will tell you. Sometimes folks will ask priests, "Well, you know, do you?" You start to get a cynical view of people when you just listen to confession after confession and you see all the the wretchedness and the pagan muck that sits underneath these supposedly Christian people. And the priest will tell you no. No, as a matter of fact, it raises my view of people because they see the honest struggle. Yeah. I have a marriage book. And in the marriage book, I talk about apologies. And I also talk about why people don't apologize. They don't apologize. And one of them is, I don't feel sorry. I'd feel like a hypocrite if I said to my spouse, I'm sorry I talked to you that way. I'm not sorry I talked to you that way. (laughs) So I'm not going to say it until I feel it. Well, then forget it. You aren't going to say it. It'll be two weeks down the road and you'll go, I'm not going to bring it up now. Exactly. I I think Paul here, I think he's trying to grasp this monster concept. Marcus, I got, did I ever explain to you my concentric theory of love? <laughs> no, and I don't want to hear it now. Let's wait go on to the next no. one. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of See, course. Uh, it's, wait a minute. Love no, no. does not insist on its own way. <laughs> See, you just were unloving to me. Now, I am an enormously loving individual. You know why? Because I love 99.9999999% of the people in the world. I don't know them, so I love them. Now, as I move closer to my— It still leaves about 100,000 people. Well, we're moving in now. That's the way outside of the concentric circle. Now we move into my acquaintances, people that I know in some superficial social level. I love most of them. I don't mistreat them. I don't get mad at them. Oh, come on. Add add another 3,000 in there that I love. All right, we move in another layer of a concentric circle. This is a neighbor lady. The neighbor lady that I kind of see most of the time. She's all right, but I'll tell you what, I don't like her all that much. Now I'm into the really concentric circle. My kids, my father-in-law, my aunt, my wife, my grandmother. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, but that's really only a relative handful of people that I struggle to love. 99.99999. Come on, that's pretty high. That's my theory. This whole love thing, it has no meaning Unless it's in your face. Yeah. There's where the meaning is. I can love the blind boy in Borneo. Well, I love him. You know, if I could help him out, I would. You know, I'd send him some money. But my brat son. <laughs> <laughs> well, the context here, of course, is the Christian community. And as brothers and sisters, through baptism, one body, one church, we are one. Uh, parallels marriage. In other words, the two become one. Well, through baptism, we've all become one body of Christ. So that's the context. We therefore are called to love. Well, how should that look if I'm to love you, whether I feel for you or not? Or not, you know, how how am I to live that out? Very least, don't do any evil to me. At the very most, do good to me. And it says, I am to be patient with you. Not to my feel. But the, for the you act. and I to live together the in this act. community, I am to be patient. I am to be kind. That doesn't mean compromise what's true. I am to be not jealous of you because of what, or boastful. See, that's easy. Those are specifics. Boastful is It is not easy. arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, is not irritable. He's dealing with that's leaders in the easy, church that yeah. are having problems in this Christian community. Does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. That's the what I'm supposed to do. Schadenfreude. Okay, I got Bear that. Bear all things. Now that's the verse that gets cloudy all things, for me. That gets, hopes all things. I struggle with that verse right there. Bears all yeah. things. Wait, wait, what's he mean by bears all things? Yeah. What am I supposed to bear? What am I supposed to not bear? Yeah, that good stuff. Let's pause there. We're going to take a break. Dr. Ray Grendy is joining me today on Deep in Scripture. We're looking at 1 Corinthians, and we'll come back. We're going to look at Philippians 4. I'm Marcus Grodi, your host, coming from the Coming Home Network International, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. 
Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today. Hi, this is Jerry Usher reminding you to listen to Vocation Boom Radio Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern exclusively on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Each week I bring you dynamic interviews with bishops, priests, vocation directors, even seminarians and those who support them, all in an effort to assist the Holy Spirit in what is truly a vocation boom around the world. That's Vocation Boom Radio Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern only on EWTN Radio. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dr. Ray Garendi, who's the popular uh, host of The Doctor Is In on EWTN Radio and Ave Maria Radio also. Um, Ray, we, 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 we've, we're, we're wrapping up 1 Corinthians 13, but we kind of cut it off in verse 7. I do want to go back to that because, as you said, the other verses, when we understand love is a choice, love is an act, um, and that these other characteristics that Paul gave are are acts, mm-hmm. actions. We choose to be this way. He's he's telling this group of Christians, gang, you are called to love, and this is the way it should look, regardless of how you feel about each other. You've been brought together by baptism, but verse seven, you know, drops some very difficult things because they're concepts that it's hard for us to not think of apart from. How we feel. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures. He repeats all things mm-hmm. four times. Obviously, he doesn't mean that literally. I'm not going to bear all things. My kid's taking drugs. I'm not going to bear that. You know, love hopes all things. Well, I, I don't hope you die. I mean, obviously, he doesn't mean that, right, well, clearly. But this is one of those verses for me, Marcus, that if if you just read Scripture— and you just read the verse, and you set up some kind of moral theology on the basis of the verse, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even know what to do with this. Yeah. That's the problem. Endures all things. I'm guessing that you counsel couples sometimes that have physical abuse going mm-hmm. on, and you just tell the woman, hey, just put, put it up with it. it. Yeah. He's <laughs> an alcoholic, and he spent your kid's college fund, and you're in, you're in $600,000 debt. Well, you just got to bear it. You gotta hope it changes. You gotta endure it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously, Paul would not mean that. Right. But again, these are verses that, like you say, they sound like they make living sense until you look and say, "I got some questions." But what tends to happen is people don't want to say, "I got questions," because it makes you sound kind of <laughs> doubting. Well, and especially. Uh, boy, how do I say this? When you're a pastor and you're preaching on these verses and you're supposed to know it all and you recognize yourself from your counseling, it's tough. And that's why I'm very grateful that we look at Scripture through the eyes of the church. And we have the wealth of philosophy through St. Thomas Aquinas. We have the wealth of spiritual uh, through John of the Cross, we have our, our wonderful teachers we've had for 2,000 years that help us understand sacrifice, 
but also um, what love is supposed to be. And in relationships, there are boundaries. When a, when a relationship is wrong, you know, there are things that we are to do, but we aren't always the ones ourselves that decide it. We have spiritual leaders that will help us understand. Sometimes I wonder, too, and I don't want to chase too far off the track here, but I wonder, you know, you know as well as I do, going from one language to another, yeah. depending upon the translation, you know, did, did Paul, is that really the best translation, bears all things, you know, would it be something like love bears up or believe, yeah. it, it's yeah. it's that kind I, of thing. I wish, yeah, right now I hadn't thought about it. We could have looked up some other verses beforehand to see other translations to see, but I think what it tells me is within reason— that's the point of the, the boundaries the church puts on us. We are called to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, and, and then within reason, of course, within the context we know with the theology of offered up, we do know that suffering is not something to always be avoided because one could easily say, well, obviously I'm not supposed to endure all things. Well, who de- determines the level at which I endure suffering? Well, if it's left to ourselves, we might not endure any suffering and just take whatever drug we can get to make sure I never suffer at all. Or we can recognize the church says there is certain value within suffering. So therefore, to a certain extent, we cannot, as it says back in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I cannot lean on my own understanding. Because in my own understanding of this, generally, I'm going to do what's good for me. Somebody asked me one time, you know, when I'm confused by a verse like this or I'm confused by what to do, and I go to my priest, and he gives me advice. What what if that's just his opinion? You know, what what if that isn't something that the majority of priests would agree with? And so I I pursue it, I follow it, and I I think of my grandmother. My grandmother died when she was 97 and educated to the third or sixth grade, came over from Italy, went immediately to the local Catholic parish, and the priest said the way it was. Okay, she didn't go to a catechism. She didn't, she, if the priest said it, that's it. Okay, now... Obviously, the priest being human could give her bad advice, could give her bad guidance. So <clears throat> would my grandmother be wrong in this? No. The, the the sanctity in what my grandmother did was the obedience to the priest in sincerity. Yeah, she could have been wrong. You know, he gave her terrible advice. You know, Rose, if Angelo does that again, you don't talk to him for three weeks. Teach him a lesson, you know. Okay. You know, <laughs> which she would probably would have been inclined to do anyway. <laughs> So her her holiness, her scriptural morality was predicated on her obedience, a much larger concept. When I think about this passage, it's a good one to prayerfully consider before you go to Mass. Because it makes sense when then, after you read this and you look at yourself, well, do I love? How do I stack up? And rather than beat myself it just drives me to my knees when I have to say, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you. But only say the word, and I shall be healed. You know, Marcus, this love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I look at that, and I'm thinking, you know, if I could, like, bear, like, 12% of things, I'd be doing better than I'm doing. So rather than saying, well, you know, wait a minute, I can invalidate this verse because I, he doesn't mean bears all things. Lobby literally doesn't mean that. Yeah, but, but I know what he's saying. And he's saying, you got to bear more than you're bearing here. <laughs> exactly. You know, our, our model is not the best human being we know. It's our Lord Jesus. And uh, you, you use those five points on me in the Journey Home program. You know, when we're expecting too much of ourselves and we say, look at Jesus, couldn't get people to follow him. Look who he was. Who are you expecting? But yet we look at him, and that is the model. In First John chapter 4, there is a big section on what love is, and it's using Jesus and our Father in heaven as the model for love. Uh, God, lo- We love because he first loved us. And so we look at the way God is patient with us. He is kind with us. You know, in these issues, but doesn't mean he's saying, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, so what the hey? You know, in other words, we are called to grow and be different, to grow more like him, to grow in perfection, to move better. 
not just be satisfied with, oh, I bear 12% of the things, but that's maybe where I'm at, so I need to move to 15, and then to 30, and then to 50 by grace. Maybe the better thing, too, for us would be to look at it and say, what do I need to bear? You know, one of the problems you have in psychology, somebody comes in for counseling, insight is not a common characteristic. <laughs> it is not. I mean, how many times have you heard people say, well, doesn't she see what she's like? What she complains about on other people, she's that way herself. Doesn't she see that? Or you, you try to point out to somebody a personality quirk, and they look at you like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Insight is not a quantity, a quality that we, we naturally grasp. Well, maybe I better look at myself and say, I got to see deep in me. Am I not doing what I should be doing according to Paul? Maybe there was a group of people he was addressing that they thought they loved. I'm sure you're—I think you put it right—I think you hit it right in the head. They thought they loved. I think you hit they it right They didn't the think head. that there was any need for growth. That's right. They were, and in fact, I got spiritual gifts, man. I got That's baptized. What, I'm right. in a church. I'm a believer. What's, hey, what's next? Pass the ketchup. Eh, let's, let's look at this. Let's Pass look at ketchup. your life. Are you patient? Are you kind? Not how you feel, but are you being patient with one another? Are you being kind? You know this whole feeling thing? Somebody will walk in the office, and if we try to focus on love being an act, they may resist that because they'll feel like a hypocrite if they don't feel the act. I'm going through the motions. I'm just, I'm just doing that because... You'll get a spouse will do this, Marcus. A spouse will say, well, I suppose I could do that. And the other spouse will say, well, I don't want you to do it if you're just doing it for me. I want you to want to do it. And I'll look and I'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's the best motive. The best motive is that she's doing it for you even though she doesn't want to do it. No, that, that's viewed as what good is it if you don't truly desire to do it and you're only doing it because it's a good supposed to do thing. It's like, how do we get so topsy-turvy? <laughs> Very good. I'm, I'm just going to pick one other verse from another Pauline letter that I think you deal with, and it's Philippians 4, verse 6. And let me read this. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let me go on. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, We'll keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, if you put those two verses together, it seems to me that that would just solve all of your problems as a counselor. In other words, just tell your people, listen, just have no anxiety, pray about it, and God's peace will come on your life. Does that make it easy for you? Actually, what it does for a lot of people (laughs) is it makes them feel worse. Because, obviously, if I have anxiety, I'm not the Christian I should be. And to the degree that I might feel blue and moody and depressed, I say, well, okay, I'm not trusting in God. Okay, I'm not doing what Scripture says. Ah, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Forget it. I just can't do this Christian walk thing. You know, <laughs> That's why you, in, in a lot of the early psychological theories, Freud and those guys, they called religion a neurosis. Because they basically said, look what it does to people. Makes them feel guilty. Makes them feel bad. Makes them look at themselves as, as, as less wonderful than they really are. And therefore, what we have to do is take that away from them. Well, how do you take it away from them? You take away the religious expectations. Get rid of it. Hmm. There's where the catch is on that. Okay, well, how do you... I mean, he does it later admit... If you read down farther in that, it's not in the passage I have here, but he is. He says back in, um, let's see if I find it, if you go on there, where he says uh, that he has learned to be content in all situations. Yeah, in, in verse uh, 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. He's learned this. It's a process. But I'm thinking a good majority of the people that come to you, anxiety is their big issue. It's number one symptom, followed by depression. Usually the two go together. You said Paul 
has learned this. Do you really think what he was saying was whether I'm being starved or whether I'm in the midst of believers, I'm content either way. It doesn't really matter. I'm, I feel the same either way. No, no real big deal. Is that what he's really saying there, you think? Well, I think he's – well, I mean, what do you think? I, I think he's learned to see it differently. There it is. He's not necessarily happy when he's being starved. He doesn't like that condition. <laughs> but at the same time, he has probably put it in context. He said, if this is the Lord's will for me, or if this is my life in the Lord, all right, I won't view it like I used to view it. You know, you see, you see so many religious people are struck with great tragedy. And if you read their email or you read on Caring Bridge, there's a lot of faith that comes through. You know, I'm, I'm trying to trust in the Lord. I'm trying to accept what the future holds. You know, I recognize that all of this is in God's hands and he'll work it out for the best way. I mean, I believe they believe that. And I think for them, that's their way of saying, I'm trying to be content. I'm trying not to be knocked over. You know, turn the lights out, shut it down, I'm going home kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, well, that's where... I- that's why, of course, if we just took verse 12, which I just read a bit ago, and left it alone, it would be encouraging people that it's, it's about your intellect. It's about you getting control of yourself, getting control of your situation. But he says in verse 13, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. There's a context. We're going to need to take another break, okay. as you're more well aware of in your own radio program. And then we'll come back in just a moment. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dr. Ray Garendi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to uh, Deep in Scripture. As you just heard, I'm here today with the family answer guy. <laughs> We're talking in, in between times here. I've got Dr. Ray Grendy here who's got a program the, the doctor is in. And just as you said, you think people do sometimes approach you as a, as a counselor as if you got all the answers. We have overpromised. Do you think politicians have overpromised? Psychologists <laughs> have really overpromised. We we put ourselves up as we have the answers, the cures, the techniques, the approaches, the therapies for all of life's ills. And if you have this problem, just get counseling, just get therapy, and you'll do better. You know, it's interesting. In the late fifties and sixties, there were a lot of movies where the hero of the movie was the psychiatrist. There was a number of those where, like, it was one called the the bad seed, where the question was whether uh, criminal activity could be inherited and passed on. Well, in the end, the the person that tied the whole thing together was the psychiatrist, psychologist, who had the answers to all of life. But you don't see those movies quite no, anymore because reality won. Even when I was trained, I was trained in the 70s. There was an awful, an awful lot of views out there that essentially said with the right techniques, with the right approach, with the right assessment, we can pretty much do an awful lot of stuff here. But they left the human out of the equation. You know? and it would, now, instead of the bad seed with the psychiatrist being here, you got what about Bob with this <laughs> neurotic, messed up psychiatrist? <laughs> this verse we were looking at before the break, Philippians 4. Let me read this again because I think there's a key passage which I think makes all the difference in the world. Paul could have written this passage this way. He could have said, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And that would say, Okay, don't worry about it, just pray, and God will answer. But he added a phrase, And I am certain 
not by accident. He added the phrase, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. From your experience and training, what is the importance of an attitude of thanksgiving? I heard a phrase once. It is hard to be depressed when you're grateful. Now, obviously, there's a certain percentage of depression that's biochemically based, sure. of course, and then certain percentage of depression that are just reactions to terrible tragedies and crises in life. But for most people, I think it's safe to say that depression comes from this vague kind of discontent with life, discontent with marriage, discontent with my kids, discontent with me, and it, it builds on itself after a while, and pretty soon it just robs you of your zest, takes it away. The question becomes, how, how do you be grateful? If you say grateful is a feeling, we're, we're back where back, we started exactly. 30 minutes ago. Exactly. That doesn't last very that long. It doesn't last. You can walk outside and go, oh, look at this beautiful cornfield across from the Coming Home Network. Oh, dear Lord, thank you for letting me see it. Oh, I feel so good. Yeah. Oh, please forgive me when I've, when I've just been so bummed out about what happened this morning with my car. I'm just sorry. Oh, yes. And I'm driving home, and as soon as I hit 77, I forgot about the cornfield, and I'm ticked at my car and the guy that ripped me off again. I believe gratitude is like weightlifting. You walk into a weight room, and you see some guy benching 300 pounds. You're looking at this, how can he do that? How is that even possible? I didn't want to put the bar underneath me. I hurt myself. And the guy looks at you and says, you know, I, I was smaller than you when I started lifting. 12 years ago, I benched uh, 105 pounds. I weighed 160. I weigh 195 now. I benched 300, maybe reps of six. He trained himself to get to that point. Gratitude is training. How much do you focus upon the minutia of your life? For example, you and I went out to a buffet restaurant right. a couple hours ago, and we said prayers. We said prayers before we made gluttons of ourselves, which I think there's a little bit of a theological incongruity there. <laughs> you didn't. You ate healthily. I was the pig. Now You ate healthily as a pig. Right? I did. I was a very healthy pig. Yeah, so I'm a lean pig. So given that, I, you know, we thank the Lord. But maybe on the way home, I got to go, you know, Lord, thank you again. Thank you again. I've never known hunger in my life. I've never known hunger. Or last night playing ball. Dear God. Thank you for letting me run the base. I, I made it the first. I, I ran. I'm 59 years old. I can run. Dear God, look at this. I'm putting one foot in front of the other. Some people can't put one foot in front of the other. You know, dear God, look at that moon. I can't. I've not paid attention to the gorgeousness of that moon. I mean, it's just a, a day in and day out focusing on all of this little bits and pieces that make up the fabric of your life that you don't pay attention to and you don't thank God for and that training in gratitude, pretty soon you're, you're benching 300 grateful pounds. <laughs> the, um, there's a, a psalm that every priest, bishop, religious prays almost every day. Psalm 95. And they can choose an alternatives in the, in the daily office when they start in the morning. And I don't think it's any accident that, that the church chooses for that to be the psalm that people begin with. There's a lot of—we could spend an hour talking about all the levels, but one of the things is it begins with, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That's a, a call to do that. It's not a feeling. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. We begin the day with that. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise, for the Lord is a great God and a king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, for his hands formed the, the dry land. At the core of our Christian faith is a belief that God is the creator of everything from nothing. That's where our thankfulness begins. We begin with the recognition that every single minutia of our life is somehow a gift of God, and I'm to be. I'm here, my body, my these things, everything has come Marcus. somehow to us as a <clears throat> gift of God's love. You were born fifty two, nineteen fifty two, in Ohio. Yep, yep. Do you have parents that taught you the faith? Did you? 
Pretty much so. Yeah. Yes, my mother particularly. Um, you realize what a minority you were in? In all the people who have ever lived, to, have, to know the name of Jesus Christ, and to not only know it, but to have been given the grace to truly live it and embrace it. Do you realize what a minority you're in? The ultimate ingratitude, dear God, in the measure of infinity, in the mystery of your will, you have allowed me to know you. That is mind-numbing if you focus on it, if you dwell on it, if you say, why me? I, I was raised by two Catholic parents who, who taught me the faith, who took me to church, who made sure I got the sacraments. In where? Uh, in 20th century America. Where? Uh, Canton, Ohio. Why? I don't know. Somehow God put me there. He could have just as easily put me in China where the majority of the folks don't know anything about Jesus Christ. He could have put me any place else in the world where the other 5 billion non-Christians live. What, luck of the draw? No, it's, no. it's that statement. But for the grace of God, go I. Okay, they've done surveys. Do you know who among the most ungrateful people in all cultures are? I'm not sure I wanted them. You, you know where you know where it's gone. U.S. Yeah. Third world countries are much more content than us, and they're generally probably much more grateful. Why? Because we just don't focus on what we have anymore. We just focus on what we don't have, and so as a result, we've lost training. We can't bench. We can't bench even 105 anymore. Yeah. Now I just focus on what I don't have. My car broke down. You got a car, for heaven's sake. <laughs> you know? We don't, fo- we, don't, we don't train ourselves. To, that's training. It's exercising, you know? Yeah. This, this, the key of gratefulness is the appreciation that everything we've had, which we're called to use faithfully, which is what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians. This is the way you're supposed to use your life. This is the way you're supposed to love one another. You choose to do this. But you begin with the gratefulness that I love you, God says. We begin. We love because he first loved us. And so with that gratefulness, it gives us a, a launching pad to be able to love one another. We ran out of time, my friend. I'm grateful that you had me here. <laughs> and I am too. We'll encourage the audience to go to The Doctor Is In. When is it air? 1 o'clock Eastern Standard, Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Marcus. Thank you all for joining us. We are grateful to you listening to us. Uh, In fact, we would love to hear from you. Go to www.chnetwork.org and let us know. God bless you. Look forward to being with you next time.